Thanks for tuning in to the teaching ministry of Mike Hilson, Senior Pastor of New Life Wesleyan Church of La Plata, Maryland. It's a church that plants churches and Where You Are Church, an online church helping people reconnect with God through practical content and a growing community. Hey, we're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this week's message. We hope that this teaching helps you love God and love people better every day. And if you enjoy what you hear today, consider sharing it with someone else. Now enjoy today's teaching. Now, we're in our sermon series on the why and the way of Jesus, where we're unpacking some philosophical positions from which people make decisions and people live their lives and people, it, it, it determines how people think. This entire series is really dealing with your worldview, how you view the world around you and how that affects the way you live and think and make choices. So the last, the last two weeks, we've talked about nihilism, which is basically meaningless, meaningless, life is meaningless, life is utterly meaningless. The idea that there's no real meaning to anything. Then last week we talked about pragmatism, which is that practice of always making decisions that seem to be the most popular or profitable at a given moment, but not allowing long-term issues like uh, ethics or morality to enter into those conversations. Today we're going to deal with something that I would argue is a little less of a philosophical way of looking at the world than it is more of a just a, a definition of how we live our lives. And, and what we're going to deal with today is consumerism. Now we've got to be careful with consumerism because let me be very honest, all of us are consumers but not all of us fall into consumerism. Uh, there, there's a distinct difference between being someone that buys things and consumes things, which is the way our world is, is, is organized. We are in a capitalist society, and therefore we consume in order to produce wealth, in order to produce GDP, gross domestic product. We consume things. We buy things. And the more we consume and the more we buy, the bigger our economy becomes. And so, quite frankly, our culture and any capitalist capitalistic culture is encouraging consumerism. It's encouraging you to consume. Now, I will tell you, it's very interesting if you look this definition up, it'll come up with a more benign approach to it than what I'm going to go through today, because I think consumerism as, a, as an addiction, if you will, it is very damaging to our lifestyle. It is very damaging to our decision-making process. But I think that consumerism, as defined by, by the dictionary anyway, becomes something that's just, you know, a way of, of, of providing resources and materials and goods to people, uh, consuming something, buying something. But consumerism, I think, goes further than that. You see, some people, everybody buys everybody consumes. But some people literally let the consumption of things, the acquisition of things, take over their lives. And it begins to, well, let me give you an example. Let me, I want to give you an example out of the scripture. Now, I'm going to be honest. The, the story we're going to today is a pretty dark story. It's, it's in Acts chapter 5, if you'll turn to Acts chapter 5. But I think it very much shows us what consumerism will do to the way a person thinks about the wealth, the blessing, the things that are in their lives. In Acts chapter 5, what's going on is, of course, Acts chapter 1 is, pre, um, is before the day of Pentecost 
and before the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up, the church is born. You end Acts chapter 2 with 3,000 were added to their number that day, and then you end it with uh, daily people were added uh, to the faith. And so the church is growing dramatically. And what's happening is people are supporting the church to the point that they're just giving away, they're selling land and then giving the entire amount from the sale of that land to the church in order that the church might take care of people and the church might serve the community around them. There's this real sacrifice. There's this real sacrificial approach that is that is overtaking the church. But then you get to chapter 5, and you run into this couple. They're named Ananias and Sapphira. And, and when you run into them, there's well, let me just read it. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property because people were selling property and bringing the entire proceeds of the sale and putting it at the apostles' feet for the apostles to use, right? With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, what's not said here, but what I think is assumed here, is that he lets everybody else believe that he's being generous just like everyone around him. So he lets everyone else believe that he brought the entire amount that he got for the sale of this property and placed it at the apostles' feet, gave it to the church. But he didn't. He withheld part of it. And by the way, he didn't do it by himself. He and his wife agreed together to do this. Then Peter said to Ananias, verse 3, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? This is why I believe he gives the impression that he brought all the money, but he only brought part of it because Peter is accusing him of lying. Peter is accusing him of misleading everyone around him. How is it that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Listen to, listen to Peter's question. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What make you, made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. And listen, lying to God's a bad idea because he always knows the truth. And, and, and what's going on here is that Ananias wants to be viewed as just as generous as everyone else around him, but he also wants to keep part of that money for himself. When Ananias heard this, verse 5, he fell down and died. A great fear seized all who heard what had happened, and then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Why would he do this? I think, I think that the simplified answer is that he had become so consumeristic in his thinking that he was concerned he wasn't going to have the money to buy all the stuff he needed to prove that he was, you know, all that and a side of chips, you know. He wanted everybody to believe he was that powerful. He was that wealthy. Look, what happens here is we've got to be careful because if you give in to consumerism, your wealth will define you. When what I have defines me, I become consumerist. I become someone who is, who is more interested that I look the part than that I become the part. You see, here's the thing. Ananias wanted to be viewed as generous, but Ananias didn't want to be generous. Now, there's a generosity to give in even part of this money because, it, as, as Peter said, it was yours before it was sold. 
and you had the right to decide what you were going to do with all of the money. But you lied about it when you came in. The problem is in the lie. There's some generosity here. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to steal the glory of other people by saying, I'm being, I'm being just as generous as everybody else when you're not. When, when you're just not. The truth is he's trying to say what I have defines me because I can give this. Now it's defining me. But he can't give it all. Because he's got to keep part of it back for himself because what he's wearing is defining him. You know, where he's traveling is defining him. The, the, the truth is he wants people to look at him and see him as successful, as, as wealthy, as generous. He wants everybody to notice the, you know, notice the tan he got when he was out on this vacation, you know, all melanized by the world around him, you know, by the sun as he laid out in it. He wanted people to see that. It didn't matter to him what he actually was internally. And the truth is, when, when what you have defines you, you'll start making choices that are just not good and are not honest. Look, if you're defined by what watch you're wearing or by what shirt you're wearing or by the clothes you, you wear or the house you live in or the car you drive, you're not being honest with anybody because none of that defines you. Not one bit of that defines you. And, and we can't figure out what's going on in your life based on what you wear or what you drive. The truth is, you've got to become who you are internally. Now, listen, it's not a matter of having money. Having money is not the problem. The problem is what he did with it and how he was using it. Now, I want to show you the next part of this story. If you jump on down to verse 7, about three hours later, about three hours after Ananias dies in front of Peter, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Now, where was she? Okay, when I tell this story, I like to say she was at the mall spending the rest of the money. She was out getting more stuff to make them look successful and wealthy. I don't know if that's true. She obviously was not at the mall because there was no such thing. Uh, but she, somehow she's not around. She shows back up. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? He's asking her, giving her the, the opportunity to be honest. Yes, she said that is the price. She lies about it. Peter said to her, how could you consider, how could you conspire to test the Holy Spirit of God? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Listen to, sometimes the Bible gives you these understatements. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Not only did what they have define them, you've got to be careful because when what you have defines you, then what you have will consume you. It will consume every part of your decision-making process. It'll, it'll, consume, it'll consume how you feel about yourself. Everybody listen to me. When your self-worth is attached to your perceived net worth, then when the money goes down, your self-worth goes down. You can never attach your self-worth to your net worth. You can never attach your self-worth to what you are wearing or what you are driving. When Tina and I first started dating all those years ago, years ago, I was like 16, right? We first started dating. And I, the one thing I always knew was she didn't date me for my car because I drove the worst car you could possibly imagine. 
And so she wasn't she wasn't dating me because I had anything. She knew she had to know who I was, who I was internally, who I actually was, was all I had to present because I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything. I didn't drive a nice car. I didn't have nice clothes. I didn't have any of that. And y'all, sometimes I think that's better for us because when we have all these things to pile on, then what we have defines us. And if it defines us long enough, it'll consume us because we'll be so consumed by having money or being thought to have money that that we'll just do anything in our lives. We'll lie to anybody. We'll cheat. We'll steal. We'll, we'll put forward the wrong image of ourselves just to prove that we actually are who we want people to believe we are. Both of these are destructive. Consumerism in general is destructive. Look, it leads to all kinds of things. It leads to lying about who you are. But in the worst cases, it can lead to hoarding. And suddenly you got stuff piled in every corner that you're not willing to let go of. You're not willing to get rid of because all of a sudden you're defined by what you have and you won't let go of this stuff. It's, y'all, y'all, stay with me. Stay with me. I'm not trying to be rude, but stay with me. It's just stuff. The one thing I realized after my grandfather, my, my grandfather passed away, my grandpa Hilson, and I cleaned out his house. The one thing I realized is there are very few things that I have in my life that my kids are going to want when I'm gone. And so all of the stuff around me needs to bring joy to me because it's not going to bring joy to anybody else. They're not going to care to have it. My kids aren't even going to want to have my house because they think it's too far away from everything else in their lives. It's too far to drive. Don't want to go there. My kids act like they have to have a shot and a passport to get to my house. And I'm not that far out, but they just think it's too far out. Well, that's the way they think. That's because what's best for them is closer into the town. What's best for me is I want to be in the woods, but that's me. And look, it can't define me because it's not going to define me after I'm gone. You know what will define me after I'm gone? Jump back with me. Acts chapter 4, not chapter 5, Acts chapter 4. Let's go to the setup for this story. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They all saw that their stuff was just stuff. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Why so much power? Because they were real. They were all being real with one another. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who, who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Watch. You don't want to be somebody who, who, who what you have defines you. You don't want to be someone that what you have consumes you. You want to be someone who what I have blesses others and me. When you can be generous enough to allow what God has given you to bless others, then you begin to understand what God gave it to you for. God gave you this, whatever you have. God gave it to you. Okay, it's a blessing to you, but he gave it to you so that you could be a blessing to others. Y'all, the church, this description of the church, is not a description of a socialist society where all of a sudden the people in charge force you to give X person a huge percentage of your income to everybody else and force the redistribution of wealth and force. That's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about a system of government or a system of financial management. This is talking about a heart of generosity. 
born out of being saved and redeemed and shown mercy by a Jesus who paid the price for my sin on the cross. Generosity is what we're after. You're not consumerism. You say, well, 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 how does this play out? I've often looked at people and said, we need to do thus and so in the church. And in order to do that, we need to raise money. So we're, we're, we're trying to see how many people could give an extra $25 a week. Let me get this in perspective. $25 a week is one trip to Chipotle with you and your spouse. It's pretty much that's it. That's 25 bucks right there. That's one, one, one night eating. I would say eating out, but if you go to a sit-down restaurant, you've doubled it. You know, the truth is we have to understand, am I going to consume or am I going to give? We will all consume at some level, but am I going to be a consumer or am I going to be a giver? Am I going to be caught up in consumerism or am I going to be caught up in generosity? Because Christ calls us to generosity and we will never learn to be truly generous when we're caught up in consumerism. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would speak to us. Show us clearly, Lord Jesus, areas in our lives where we've just gone a little over the top with consumerism. Help us to draw back. Teach us, Lord, to be like you. Lord, we're not trying to act like we're not going to consume anything or we're not going to own things or we're not going to have things. But Lord, Lord, don't ever let the things that we have have control of us. Don't let them define us. Don't let them consume us. Instead, teach us to be generous with us so we take the things we have and we bless others. And in doing so, that will bless us. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen. Lots of good stuff. All right, so can you discuss the concept of abundant life as Jesus teaches it? Jesus talks about having an abundant life and how that contrasts with people's like consumerists ideas of abundance right the consumerist the consumerism the person caught in consumerism the abundance of their life is defined by the abundance of their stuff mm-hmm. well stuff doesn't bring joy stuff can stuff can make you happy for a moment i mean i i like my car because when i push the gas pedal it goes fast right Mm -hmm. but that's not going to actually bring me joy it's not it's just in that moment i'm going yeah you know but it's it's not joy yeah it's a little different um in in the abundant life that when jesus says i have come that i might that you may have life and you may have to have it to the full Mm -hmm. he his idea there is that you actually have a depth of reality in the in the in the abundance in your life it's 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 an abundance of how do i say this it's an abundance of of people Mm -hmm. it's an abundance of um having invested in it's an abundance of knowing you've made the right decisions it's 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 that Mm -hmm. there also can be some things involved but they're you know, why do I, why do I like my house? I, my house has more space than me and Tina need, right? Mm-hmm. Why do I like that? Because we have people over yeah, and we'll host. have, we'll have, we'll host the, mm-hmm. the whole staff from both churches. We'll, ha- we'll host our entire family. Mm-hmm. We'll sometimes have our entire family plus their extended families come over. Well, we do that, that because the abundance in our life is not the house or the square footage in it. 
Right. The abundance in our life are the people that fill it mm-hmm. when we get everybody together. I think that's the difference yeah. between the abundant life God is calling us to mm-hmm. and the abundant life that people who are caught up in consumerism. Mm-hmm. And you are talked chasing. a lot about identity in the message. So, what does it mean to find your worth in Christ opposed to what you can own or afford? Oh, but it's it's night and day. Uh, what I can own and afford makes me well. It, it look. If I only am defined by what I can own or afford, and I have nothing, mm-hmm. then I'm nothing. Yeah, some people believe that. Yeah, well, but that that's not true. And rich people believe that because they have everything. They're everything. They ha- yeah, they're awesome. But but here's a lot the of people, not all rich. But people. here's the issue: you and I've traveled together, mm-hmm. some internationally, but I've, I've been to a lot of different countries on a lot of different mission fields. Some of the most joyful people I've met in my entire life. Mm-hmm have nothing. Yep. Brian and I met some of those people on this last Guatemala trip. Yeah. I mean, they have nothing. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, some some of the happiest people I've ever met were in Haiti. Mm -hmm. And not only do they not have anything, they live in a system that they probably won't ever have anything because the system is so broken. It's a great segue to the next question too. Yeah. Um, Which is how does... How does Jesus's teaching, because we're talking about how Jesus is better. Mm -hmm. How does his teaching guide people like us, believers, followers, in leaving a positive impact on the world rather than just accumulating material wealth. Yeah, I, I think you've got to view all of your blessings as the empowerment of God to be a blessing on somebody else. You've so got to view all of them. our not, view of what we own. Yes, I'm not suggesting you give away everything you own. I don't think that's wise. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's the wisdom that God would call you to. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when God gives you any extra room, you t- you take care of that. Yep. We Tina and I had uh, someone. We had an we had an unexpected amount of income this year, mm-hmm. um, and so what what did we do? Well, we immediately knew here's three areas that we're going to help in that we're going to do, yep. and they were all about helping other people. Mm-hmm. And all of those three areas, by the way, happened after we tithed because my gener- my tithe. I'm sorry, I'm going to say this. I know this is not a mm-hmm. tithing sermon. But tithing is not generosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just our Tithing duty. is required. Yeah. We're giving back. That's a mm-hmm. returning what doesn't belong to me because mm-hmm. the first 10% belongs to God. The first, the right. first fruits right. of our increase. So generosity is what happens after the 10%. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, you know, we do that. And, and we have to figure out if God gives you the capacity to do that in some places, mm-hmm. then you do it. How else will someone who doesn't have anything mm-hmm. be blessed financially? Mm-hmm. You know, how else will that happen if you're not willing to do that? Yeah. Now, I, let me tell you what I don't do. I don't send money to any to any, to any ministry where the pastor's running around in private jets and, and got a helicopter pad in his backyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not doing that. Yeah. You know, I, I maybe that's me being judgmental, but mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. Uh, yeah. But will I give to a missionary who I know is raising money because I know they don't have the money to get everything mm-hmm. done, but they're going to go do this work on this foreign field. I'll, I'll do that in heartbeat. Yeah, it begs the question, you know, contentment comes up, and, and what does the Bible have to say, um, and maybe even just the teaching of Jesus specifically teach about contentment, and how would that compare to, like, this consumerist cycle that we have of, like, never being satisfied? Because you look at studies right now, and it says that, you know, it's always this moving target, but it says that, you know, people who make a certain amount of money per year, we'll say it's like $120,000 a year, mm-hmm. will say that they're contented, right? Um, but then as soon as they get there, studies seem to indicate that, oh, well, now now it's really actually $200,000 well, a year. And then when I get there, 
I'm contented. And then it just keeps going. Right, because they're not defining contentment properly. Daniel Pink mm-hmm. did a study some years ago in a book that I read. And in his study, he found, now this is years ago, okay? Mm-hmm. He put he put the number at 70,000. This is probably 15 years ago. Yeah. And so he put the number at 70,000. When a person's salary crosses 70,000, which in today's terms is probably over 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but he said when it crosses this particular threshold, people are able to pay for what they need they're able to take care of themselves and money no longer is a good motivator to uh to get extra work out of them mm-hmm. they now need purpose at work to do more yeah. or to dig deeper That's interesting. and so it was a very interesting study mm-hmm. i'll have to get you the book yeah. but um but it was a very interesting study that says there is a limit mm-hmm. to the point at which money can bring you satisfaction can bring mm-hmm. you contentment Right, but yet people still chase it. People still chase it. So what does the Bible have to say about contentment? Like, what would you say biblical contentment is, and then how does it contrast with this cycle of never being satisfied for people? Well, okay, but but, uh, biblical contentment is knowing that God has me where I am. He's given me what I have and what I I don't have. He's allowed that to be real. God's in charge. I'm not. I'm content with what God has given me. That's biblical contentment. Society around us shows in in reality TV shows and all the stars and all this, everybody's on these vacations, they're on these yachts, they're on these planes, they're on these, everybody's doing all this stuff. And we're like, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And so we think we've got to chase all of that. Mm -hmm. When in reality, that's not what the best, uh, that's not where contentment is found. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the, the truth is we've got to understand that if God has given you more than you need, Mm-hmm. He's done that and so that you can be a blessing in other people's lives. Yeah. If he gives you more than you need mm-hmm. and you're a blessing in other people's lives yep. and you can still afford the yacht trip, hmm. we'll go. Hmm. It's not an issue. Duh, I think consumerism is when you take all of that and you just simply focus it back on yourself mm-hmm. and you're not showing generosity. I think generosity is actually the cure to consumerism. Is this related to that concept that we hear in scripture of stewardship? Um, because that's there's a huge contrast mm-hmm. too there between consumerism and stewardship because some consumerism is bad stewardship of the, right. the things and you're kind of hitting hinting on that. But some I consumerism stu- is good stewardship. Yeah. Buying the more expensive vegetables is good consumerism mm-hmm. than buying the packaged dried out stuff in the middle of the yeah well that's a larger conversation you know good consumerism (laughs) actually fun fun to consider you know there's certain things that we shouldn't give our money to so that it goes away right (laughs) so we we dry that up like (laughs) chips and (laughs) anyways just kidding (laughs) interesting okay um something that you've already kind of touched on but i want to just make it a little bit more clear you know we're told to care for the least of these okay so i want you to think of that term the least of these and that's a that's a hard ethical framework for a consumerist. And then there's also the concept of loving your neighbor. We talked mm-hmm. about love this last message, the one before, and um, it seems to be flying in the face of all these ideologies, if you could even call them that. You call this a way of life or at least something that's part of our life. So how would loving your neighbor and caring for the least of these put the nail in the coffin on consumerism? Oh, I think, no, no, no. That's what I mean. I think generosity is the cure mm-hmm. for consumerism. I think if I'm... Con- Look, if I'm looking at uh, my neighbor mm-hmm. who has nothing yeah. and who needs a meal, and rather than helping them get food, I'm running out and buying 
I don't know, a $400 jacket or something, Mm -hmm. which I've actually never done. So you just need to know that. Uh, But if I, if I, if that happens, that's consumerism. Mm. I'm not worried about this person's need. I'm worried about my look. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think generosity fixes that by saying, you know what? I can still have a nice jacket for a hundred bucks. That leaves me 300 bucks and I can now do this other thing. And um, I can't tell you how many times Tina and I have made a decision like that. Yeah. We'll still buy something quality, mm-hmm. but we're not going to buy this label mm-hmm. that we're supposed to have. Yeah. Uh, because, why? Because I don't. I don't want to. I want to be able to do other things. I want to be able to help people when the time comes. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a heartfelt thing. By the way, I, I took a little shot. This is the right place for me to do this. Mm-hmm. I took a little shot at this. Is not socialism that Jesus is, mm-hmm. is suggesting. Yeah. I don't believe in socialism, communism. I don't really even believe in capitalism mm-hmm. in order to control greed. Um, because I, I, think, I think in capitalism, obviously you see greed, you see people making tons and tons and tons of money, right? Mm-hmm. And people say, well, we need a socialist system because there's no greed in that. No, the greed's just living in a different place. Yeah. If the government owns all the money, then the people who want money are going to get in the government yeah. because people who know how to find money are people who know how to find money. Right. And in a socialist system, they'll get in the government. In a communist system, they'll get in the military. And in, in a capitalist system, they'll get in business. business yeah. They're the same people. Mm-hmm. They know how to find money. Yeah. And the problem is those people often are not trained or taught or helped to find generosity in the midst of having the money. Mm-hmm. And so they give it, they, they're not giving back. Yeah. What Jesus is, 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 what we're seeing in Acts is generosity, mm-hmm. not government structure. Interesting question. You go back to the person, your neighbor who has nothing that needs mm-hmm. something to eat, and you go and buy a jacket. That person could easily say, this person, my neighbor, is not my responsibility. Yes. You could be like Pilate from our last message. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just going to wash my hands of this. He's not my responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, and in a socialist setting... The, at least, you know, the government saying everybody's our responsibility, but then they, they're hypocrites because they don't actually take care yeah. of it, or in communists, even worse, right? So how, what is our responsibility? Well, it, you ask a question that the Bible's already dealt with. Am I my brother's keeper, Cain says to God. Right. And the obvious answer is, well, yes, you're yeah. your brother's keeper, and you killed him. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you're cursed. Yeah. So are you, are you the—look— you are responsible for the people that God puts in front of you who have mm-hmm. needs and and shows you. Yeah, so if they're there, yes. they have needs, and you notice it. Right. It's pretty I'm not, safe to bet. There's nothing I can do for the homeless on the streets of San Francisco mm-hmm. when I live in the state of Maryland. Mm-hmm. I know they're there, but there's nothing I can do for that. Mm-hmm. However, when the lady who comes out here at the church, we talk, who, who is homeless, mm-hmm. she's, she's not able to fend for herself. When she stands outside the church door after service and says, can I have a water? I'm taking her four. Mm-hmm. I'm taking her four bottles because I know she's going to need it the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. You know, if she needs something like that, I'm going to provide it. I know that she can't manage things. If I give her too much at one time, she can't manage them. Because she not not yeah we're, we're you know not her everything very well. connects we know her very right well. not everything connects time. for yeah. her and so so she can't manage it mm-hmm. but if she needs water if she needs to come in and use the restroom if she needs to do and we're here sure one hundred percent and that's it. the extent that she wants help from us yes by the way it is in this it case is. 
It is. You were with me. You and I and, and Theo were together. We, we were go to, to a, a yeah. taco place, mm-hmm. and there's a dude outside. Hey, can you get us lunch? And I, I literally, I turned. I looked at him. I said, "You want lunch?" He said, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, come on." And so we just mm-hmm. had him order first, then ordered our food, mm-hmm. and so we bought him lunch. I don't know this guy from Adam, but God put him in front of us, yeah. right? So he was our responsibility in that moment to get him that meal. Yeah. The question that I often have heard in the past is a provocative one. It's like, well, what does, what would love require? If we're called to love our neighbor Mm -hmm. as ourselves, how far should I go? Well, what does love require us to do? See, I don't like that question because I think it's too deep. I think it's too far and too deep. I think it's too far and too deep. Yeah. The dude, the dude at the taco place, do I love him? Well, in the spirit of Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know him, <laughs> you know. So, uh, but I, what, what, what does grace require? Mm-hmm. And grace requires I have enough money to buy you lunch. You're hungry. I'm buying you lunch. Mm-hmm. I, I, I am not going to sit here and say, "Love you, dude." I don't know him, mm-hmm. but, but I, but I will say this is what God calls me to, and He put mm-hmm. you in front of me, so I'm going to do this. Yeah. And that wasn't the first time I've done that, and it won't be the last. Yeah, Peter walks you by know. the homeless guy outside the gate of Beautiful, right. you know, asks for money, and he's like, right. I don't have money, but I, can, I got something I can give you. And right. He heals him. That brings me to, I, we had a lady in the church years ago, mm-hmm. and I, I sat down with her because she had a ministry that was interesting to me. And I said, what do you do? She said, well, I can't answer that. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I sit down with people and I say, what do you need? And they'll say, well, I need a job. Well, I don't have a job. What do you need? Well, I need a house. I don't have a house. What else do you need? And she said, well, keep going until eventually they get to, well, I suppose if somebody could watch my kids two days a week, I could go get a job. I can watch your kids. Mm. She said, we just keep digging until we find something we can do. And we do that. That's cool. Okay, that's cool. That is a good mm-hmm. way to look at this. What does grace require? Grace requires we help. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to step in and help if I can in that moment. And um, when God gives me the capacity to help, I'd have to be willing to do it. Okay. Unless you don't think that you have to um, and that you're entitled to another life, but we'll get there next week. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you again for joining us. We hope that this resource helped you in your journey towards loving God and loving people better every day. If you enjoyed this, please share it with your friends. Lastly, we just wanted to give a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. If you'd like to learn more about how to partner with us financially, just click give for more information. We appreciate anything you can do to help. Thanks for being a member of our online family. We love serving Jesus with you.